If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota baseball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Go get that first down and get a touchdown. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer. I'm joined by Judd Zolgat of 1500 ESPN's Mackie and Judd Morning Show. And as always, by ESPN.com's Ben Gessling. Although today, gentlemen, our, our IQ level goes up a little bit. We're joined by Blake Barrett of the Institute for Athletes, a Minneapolis-based agency. Blake, thanks for joining Thank you for having me. I'm not certain the IQ level goes up, but I appreciate the kind <laughs> well, gesture. Listeners, listeners of this podcast will it's probably It's a low agree. bar, Blake. <laughs> yeah. Believe me, you're raising it. <laughs> Expectations are very low around here. Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, this is this is the time here. The Vikings are bringing in their top 30 visits. I'm sure you've got clients that are traveling all around the country. What, this has got to be the, one of the busier time of year for you, right, in terms of being an agent? You know what? It, it gets really busy up until about now. Um All the visits are set. All the workouts are set. A lot of the draft preparation is already set at this point. There's still things to do, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's as busy as it is in February when these guys are just getting to the combine and you're signing a new rookie class and free agency is coming along. And um, So I think February and March are actually busier. Now we're kind of towards the tail end of it where where 95% of the work is already done. Um, So, yeah, I, I think... It's still busy, but comparatively speaking, December, January, February, March are actually a lot busier. What what advice do you give to your clients at this time of year where really, like you said, it's kind of now they put the work in, now they just have to wait? I think we do a pretty good job over the course of the relationship of managing the expectations. So um, a lot of these guys get so caught up in the draft and so caught up in the hype of it all when the reality is um, once they get into rookie minicamp four weeks from now, None of that really matters. So, you know, the coaches are going to play the best players, and it's important to control what you can control and prepare every day and spend as much time around the facility after you get drafted. And a lot of these players think that our agent as a 
it's our job as agents to sell, 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 sell to these teams, but they're spending multi, multi millions of dollars on their scouting services. They're very in tune with these guys. And when there's a question about a guy's character or work ethic or, or some uh, independent of football items, then I think we can make a difference. But, you know, at this point in the game, guy outside of them getting in trouble or getting hurt, uh, their draft status isn't going to change dramatically from now to the draft. But like, how much, uh, how difficult to is the are the months of February and March and April before the draft? In this sense, it seems to me that so many of these things now are not about football. I mean, we we worry about how fast the guy runs. The combine has a lot of of really things that aren't completely applicable to football. We psychologically test them. I mean, there's so many things where you're trying to vet a person, but you're not putting them on a football field and giving them a realistic game a situation. How difficult is this to try to get teams to grasp? At the end of the day, this is going to be a football player. This is not going to be a guy who's going to have to run fast in a straight line, right? necessarily jump high. It just seems to me there's so little about football sometimes in this build-up process, and yet this time of the year is so important. Yeah, I, I've always been kind of a... Uh, I guess a big believer in that a lot of the system is antiquated. I don't think there's been a lot of changing of the the systems in place, whether it's the combine and what they do there or why 300 NFL personnel need to sit in there and take notes on a guy's way in or whatever the situation may be. Uh, but there's also not a lot of new blood in the NFL. It's the same guys that have been uh, in the NFL for years, and they came from Bill Parcells' tree or Bill Walsh's tree or wherever they came from. And if you get fired by one team, you're hired two weeks later by another team. So who's coming in with really new blood? I mean, whether it'll work out with the Cleveland Browns or not, at least there's a new perspective coming into the NFL, and they're going to do things a little bit differently. Or Chip Kelly, whether you like him or dislike him, or I don't care if he wins or loses, he's doing things a little bit differently. So I I at least have a little bit of respect for that. I don't know if those individuals will work out or not, but there's just no new ideas. There's no new fresh, innovative uh, decision-makers' ideas. So it's the common uh, sentiment is always, well, that's how they've always been done. So uh, I've never really believed in that. It's not really my philosophy, but again, I'm not going to go change the combine tomorrow. So I, uh, you know, for me, I try to tell these guys, it's not, it's not even really about the talent level. All you guys are talented at this level. It's really about the opportunity. And when you get the opportunity, what you're going to do with it. If you're a first round pick like Johnny Manziel, you have a little longer leash. And if you're a seventh round pick, you can't afford to do that. You can't afford to show up late to meetings. You can't afford to not know the playbook. You can't even afford to get hurt for four weeks. So, you know, you need a little luck on your side too, but, but, uh, the whole process is really, these teams, the NFL teams, are just cramming for a test in April and May that they're not really prepared for. And that's why they want all these all-star games and the pro days and the visits and the workouts and the senior bowl and all the film. It's There's tons of guys out there. I had a fourth-round pick last year that didn't get invited to the Combine that I could not get into an all-star game that no team even knew about in January and February. His name was Rodney Gunter. He started every game as a rookie for the Arizona Cardinals. But there's just so many guys out there. So it's it's – getting these NFL teams' attention, getting them to pay attention uh, to them, and then once they get their opportunity, it's it's going to be up to them. I mean, it's sort of – I mean, a guy like Carson Wentz, you kind of look at how he's going through this whole thing now and talking about the guy being the number two pick possibly in the draft. I mean, he kind of speaks to that process, I suppose, that – I mean, yeah, he's playing at, at playing his college football at a level where you're not on national TV every week, but I mean, this guy could be the, the first quarterback taken in the draft and up till you know, really last year – nobody outside of people that are Bison fans or maybe people in the region had heard of him. When you look at a guy like that, I guess, what does that sort of say about the scouting process? I mean, should a guy like that have been 
on somebody's radar sooner than he was, or was that just a, a function of playing small college football? I think he's on some people's radar within NFL teams at some point, but it's almost counterproductive for them to spend time and resources looking into him a year in advance because yeah. you don't know if your team's going to need him. You don't know um, – if he's going to stay healthy, you don't know what juniors are declaring. There's just so many unknowns at that point that I don't think they're dedicating the time and the resources and the staff and the manpower to even find out. Um, yeah. You know, because I'm in the region, I knew who he was. I had no idea if he was as good as advertised. I mean, Marcus Williams is a client of mine. He told me he was the real deal, but I had no idea. Um, and and even even with the seniors, these teams aren't or juniors that are probably going to declare. They're not really getting into it till January, whereas I may have already met with a kid 10 times by the time January rolls around. So I am pretty certain I know these kids that I'm meeting with 100 times better than these NFL teams do that are that they're going to draft. I could, I could tell every team right now about every single guy, that every college kid that I met with. I could tell you which kids are going to work hard. I could tell you which kids the money's going to go to their head. I can tell you which guys are under the radar. I could tell you which guys I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. But no one's calling me. They don't, you know. <laughs> but you're can, you're studying for the test a lot earlier than these teams are. Exactly. And I'm point. seeing them in atmospheres with their family and their friends and a restaurant, how they treat people in public. And, you know, I just get to know them. I think I'm a pretty good judge of character. Doesn't mean I'm going to be right about every single player as a football player, but I can certainly give some intel to the decision makers. There's guys that I would not touch. And I know teams will draft some of these guys in the second round, maybe, first round, third round, that I. They could be available in the seventh round. I wouldn't touch them because I just know it's going to unravel at some point. Now, Blake, what makes this process, too, that you talk about so antiquated, the, the pre-draft process and everything that teams try to do, I mean, what makes it so important is because this is the, the first time that these kids are going to earn a real paycheck. I mean, right. for something that they've put many hours into, uh, something they've built toward and been told that they could do for years and years, and now they're finally getting the chance to do it at the NFL draft after at least three years of college. We saw the NCAA championship come through now with both basketball and football. That sparks the offseason conversation every year about paying college athletes. Where do you stand on that, and how does that impact what you do? Well, yeah, I mean, I absolutely think they should get paid in some capacity. I, I, I know that. I just don't know how to solve okay. it. I don't know what the solution is. I know they're, it's just gotten so out of whack. They're not, they're not amateurs anymore. They're on the cover of ESPN magazine. They're playing in front of millions of people. Their coaches are making millions of dollars. Everyone around them is making so much money. Our whole our whole system in America is predicated on capitalism, except when it comes to 18-year-old student-athletes that are in college. Exactly. So yep. um, I don't know what the solution is, but it's a problem. Um, you know, Terrell Pryor is not selling his Rose Bowl ring because he wants to sell his Rose Bowl ring. It's because he's got no money, and his family's got no money, and the opportunity is there to make money, and everyone else around them is making money. So... I don't know whether it, whether they should just have a salary cap and each school can spend 150 grand or 200 grand how they want, or they put it in a trust for later, or they all the parents are allowed to travel to the games, or I don't know what the solution is, but they should be getting something of monetary value that they could see is they can see the writing on the wall and they can see the light at the end of the tunnel. You brought up a couple. Is there one solution you feel like is is the right way to go, or at least one to experiment with? I just don't know because you, do you do it for every player? Do you do it for every conference? Do you do it for every sport? Like I played tennis in college. I don't deserve anything. It's a non-revenue sport. Like I was lucky. To, I was lucky to get scholarship money. Like um, so, no, I don't think you should do it for every student okay. athlete. You should do it for the the revenue generating sports. And I don't know how you do it. I really don't. I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. Um, maybe the BCS and the Power Five con- or the Power Five conferences. Maybe they break away from everybody else and they have X number of dollars that they can spend on their players. And if, I don't know what the answer is. If it's a million bucks or half a million bucks, or you know, a lot of these families can't even afford 
to come watch their kids play. These kids can't afford to go home for the holidays. They can't. If you want to go watch your kid play in the Rose Bowl on December 31st in L.A., it's not a cheap trip, you know. So I, there's just there's problems with the system that I I'm pretty sure if I if I grabbed five, I'm sure the four of us could sit in a room over the course of a three month span and figure out a solution. Why these other people over the course of years and years and years and years can't. Uh, it's because they don't want to. Presidents don't want to, and the athletic directors don't want to. And, you know, you're 18 years old, you show up on campus, and they give you a stack of paperwork this big, and you sign your life away, and you don't know what you're signing. So, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. you know, until they all say, I'm not going to step on the court on Saturday of the Final Four or Monday of the National Championship or whatnot, it's not going to change. And I, I think the problem is this. I think the presidents and the schools, for the most part, Blake, hide, hide behind political correctness of we don't want to alienate this sport or that sport when the reality is if they start to pay these guys, you're talking about a piece of the pie going away. But wouldn't common sense say this? Let's start with the let's start with football and basketball. If you have a university that's involved like the Big Ten in a network or you have a national TV deal, let's just start there mm-hmm. with football and basketball. I'm a big hockey guy, and for the Gophers, hockey's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Around the country, it's not. But if you are – the Big Ten network is powered by what? Fueled by what? Football and then basketball. Yep. So I think if you just started with those sports and said, we need to compensate those kids. And, yes, you'd have lawsuits and people would be upset. I get that. But to me, the problem is nobody wants to use a common-sense approach, and they hide behind, well, we'd have to pay everybody. And to your point with tennis, that's a much of hogwash. Exactly. You don't have to pay everybody. Exactly. You, you don't have to pay everybody. You shouldn't pay everybody. You know, we're not um, – we don't, as a tennis player, I don't have the ability to go out there and make fifty thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars because of my tennis ability. And if I did, I'm allowed to turn pro. I can turn pro at sixteen years I old if I want biggest, to and go play yeah. professional tennis. Yeah. But some of these kids, like if if I, I, I'm just using this as an example, like if you're Mitch Leidner and maybe you have an NFL future, maybe you don't, but maybe they have a great year this year at Minnesota and he can market himself and go make. A hundred or two hundred thousand dollars in endorsements in Minneapolis, then that may be his only opportunity to. Who knows if he's going to go to the NFL or not? So it, there's just so many op- there's so many things that are backwards about um, these guys not being able to market themselves. A lot of these schools are telling their kids they can't even be on social media. Period. <laughs> so you can't even build up a following if you want to. You can't even they can't reach out and get acquainted with the local media, the local boosters, people that they actually may want to go into business with down the road if they're in the 99% grouping that's not going to play professionally. So uh, there's a lot of issues. I, I don't have a great solution, but they should start with the major sports and even hockey here. If hockey is a revenue generating sport for Minnesota and the top players have the ability to, to make money in their profession. And I know hockey is a little different because they, they could go out of high school or, or play overseas and whatnot, but football, there's no alternative. You can't go to Austria and play football. If you want to, I remember Mude, the kid from, I don't know where he, I think he was oh, going to go to SMU. Moody? Emmanuel yeah. Moody. He yeah. went to yeah. China and made whatever a million yeah. bucks. There isn't that option in football. You just don't have the option. So, if there was the option, you'd have guys do it. You'd have guys say, "Why am I going to go play in college? You know, at Michigan State or Michigan or Ohio State or wherever? If I can go to Germany, and make a million dollars next year, and go to the draft the following year, I'll go get experience. I'll go get reps. I'll make some money. I'll travel the world. Those options don't exist. Yeah, I mean, as you bring it up too. Football is really the only one where you don't have the ability, if you're really good, to make a million dollars at age 18, age 19. I mean, basketball, you got to play the one year. But baseball, you can you can go pro at 18. Hockey, you can do the same. 
uh, any Olympic sport, whatever money you're going to make, you can make it at whatever age you want. Football, obviously, you know, I think we can all agree that guys going pro at age 18, you're not physically developed in a lot of cases, but there would be some guys that could do it. That is sort of the one sport where there is a restriction and there's also a, a, enough of a market that something has to, to right. change there. And then on top of it, not only can you not go to the NFL, your school can now restrict you from even transferring. And if they do allow you to transfer, yeah. they're going to force you to sit out a year. So Kirby Smart comes in and says, sorry, guys, I don't care that Mark Rick did things a certain way. You're not transferring to Miami to follow him, and you're not transferring within the SEC. But I can leave all the kids I just recruited at Alabama to come here and take a nice big pay raise while I'm going to handcuff all of you, which yeah. is such a cowardly move. They shouldn't even, they shouldn't even allow that to occur. Blake, that leads me actually to a question about uh, about the pro level in football, the NFL and the NFLPA. The story's out there this week that uh, Colin Kaepernick could be traded from San Francisco to Denver if they can agree on how uh, how he should be compensated for next year. And Denver has said we'll take on X amount of his salary and no more. The other part of that story is this, and this knocks my socks off. That they've gone to Kaepernick and said, "Would you be willing to forfeit? I believe it's four point nine million dollars of your 2016 salary in order to go to Denver and basically have the Broncos pay you what they want to." Now, in baseball, you wouldn't even do that. You would never go to a player. You couldn't. How on earth are we still in a day and age where the majority of contracts in this league are not guaranteed, which is bad enough because your career is so short? How on earth do we remain in a day and age where the owners and management in the NFL feel emboldened enough to go to a, a player with a short career and say, if you forfeit this amount of salary, you can play it for the Broncos? To me, that's off the charts. Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult to get leverage in the NFL. When you do, you have no choice but to kind of stomp on their throat and get everything that you can because it's you – know, and frankly – he had an opportunity. He went to the Super Bowl as a young guy. There was an opportunity there where he could have signed a $40, $50 million guaranteed contract and didn't for whatever reason. I'm not privy to his exact situation, but now he has no leverage. And now he's – the only leverage he has is that he can stick with the Niners for what they're paying him, which is probably a fraction of what he could have had if, if things went right prior. But to the same point as the NCAA – it's hard to round up 1,800 players and get them to believe in anything. Half these guys can't get through an offseason uh, without a paycheck. So I think now, I think they learned a difficult lesson last time under the CBA. I think now they're starting to get their ducks in a row for 2021 when the next CBA comes up. But it's going to take five or six years to get the NFLPA on board, to get all the agents on board, to get all the players on board, because it's hard to get six guys in a locker room to agree on anything, let alone 1,800 players. So... Uh, there certainly needs to be changes. There needs to be a portion, in my opinion, every a portion of every single contract should be guaranteed, uh, which would prevent these teams from just signing 30 guys with nothing guaranteed, that they have no ability, they're not invested in. They can run through their entire offseason program without paying them. It's why are you giving the teams the luxury of just doing whatever you want with these guys? So it would make them think about every single guy they're signing. Maybe the minimum salaries need to go up. Um, I think the active... The 53-man roster needs to go up. But, again, it all comes down to educating and, and getting these 1,800 players on somewhat of the same page. As agents, we're more removed from the process than I think we should be because we're the ones that have most of these guys' ears. But we're all part of the union. None of these agents are working together. They're just stealing each other's clients. So it's it's literally the most backwards thing I've ever been a part of. I'm part of a union, 
And the only reason we're part of a union, theoretically, is to band together in strength and numbers, and every agent hates each other, and they don't work together. <laughs> and we're the ones that have the players' ears. So it's just as much the agent's fault as it is if you want to put blame at the players or the agents or the NFLPA or whoever you want to put blame on, none of the agents are working together. And we're the ones that have 95% of the players' ears. So... Hey, this is Manny Hill from The Ride with Royce. You're listening to the Purple Podcast. Obviously, that means you like the Vikings. Well, if you're also into the Wolves, you should check out the Raised by Wolves podcast, where we talk all things Minnesota Timberwolves. Subscribe to us on iTunes and at the Podcast Center at 1500ESPN.com. Again, there's a lot of issues. Yeah, that's really interesting to me, too. I never thought about it that way in the sense that you're right. I mean, a group of people that could have that kind of power have to operate on islands because of the nature of the job. Yeah, and I I mean, I feel like I've kept – I'm a younger guy. I think I came through the business a different way. I have a good relationship with all these other agents or the majority of them, but I can cut the tension with a knife when I see them together. They hate each other. They've gone for 25 years of stealing each other's clients, yeah. and they have negative stories about each other. And, and the majority of them are making money hand over fist, so they don't really care. They're not really incentivized to change this whole platform. They don't really care. They'll continue to sign their 10 first-round picks and their veteran guys, and just a vicious – it's kind of a vicious cycle. What's the, do you think that, that Nate, the, the cutthroat nature of it would be different if the contract structures were different. In other words, I mean, we, we every sport obviously has agents, but every other sport, but this one has guaranteed contracts. If there was more of a, a sort of guaranteed revenue stream on a deal when a player signs it, would would agents be a little less um, acrimonious toward each other? Do you think, or is that just kind of part of it? No I don't know. I don't think so, just because if you look at basketball, they are fully guaranteed contracts, and those agents are stealing each other's clients just as much yeah. as anybody else because yeah. the money's so great, and there's that much more money at stake, so there's that much more incentive to go grow your business. And I guess in their case, there's there's less of a pool of players, so sure. it's that much more important to get guys, whereas the nice thing about our business is we can really go find kind of a diamond in the rough. We can go use our whatever skill set we think we have and go find guys like our, our fourth round pick last year or Marcus Williams who went undrafted or Kirk Coleman or whoever it is, we can go, we can go use our knowledge base and say, okay, these NFL teams may not have evaluated properly. We believe we have something. And maybe it's not that he's the greatest player in the world, but he's going to do everything right. He's going to get better every year. He's going to work hard in the offseason, know the playbook. We have the ability to do that in the NBA these guys kind of have an idea of who the first round picks are when they're like 16 years old. Yeah. There's not a ton of deviation from that. Yeah. So Vikings fans ears perk up. I'm sure when they hear the name, Kurt Coleman, what was it like for you to watch him uh, with the Panthers? Obviously a former Viking for a cup of tea here in Minnesota to then make his way to the Super Bowl, seven interceptions, all that. I mean, what was it like for you to watch that? It was great. I mean, none of it, none of it was a surprise to me. He played well in Philly since 2011. He had more interceptions, I think fourth or fifth of anyone mm. since 2011. They had a lot of changeover in Philly. Chip Kelly came in, wanted him gone. Then he went. They they cut him here in Minnesota, which was I thought ridiculous. Uh, signs a week later in Kansas City and led Kansas City in interceptions that year, and then signs in Carolina. So I, none of it surprises me. He was an All American at Ohio State, two time team, team captain. He's five nine. You know that's that's the knock on him. I guess from your perspective, what, what does it take? I mean, I think there's an underlying or an undercurrent of like, the guys need to find the right fits too to succeed. I Absolutely. Mean, you bring up how he's found success though, wherever he's gone, most spots. What, what was it about Carolina you think that brought the best out of him? Well, one, he had McDermott in, okay. um, in Philly. Uh, two, 
he's on a good defense. When you're on a good defense and you're getting pressure from the front and you have good linebackers, that's the ideal scenario when you're playing safety. When he was in Philly, he had rookies in front of him playing linebacker that didn't know the defense. He had to get everybody on the field lined up. Uh, you don't have the ability to just to play your game to the, the same level that you could. I have no doubt that if they would have kept him here, he would have had a phenomenal year here too, playing on a good defense in a good system next to Harrison Smith with good corners, with a defense that can get pressure. He would have played great here too. I have no doubt because he would have outworked everyone. He's always going to be one of, if not the smartest guy on the field. He'll he'll teach everyone else. He's a good guy in the locker room, great guy in the community. Um, those guys have a knack. He's been successful at every single level he's at. It's not like, you know, this came up out of the blue. Yeah. Same thing I would say about Marcus Williams, who led the Jets in INTs last year. Like, guy had 21 interceptions at North Dakota State. They won three national championships while he was there. I think he took eight of those to the house. I think he was an All-American or two-time All-American, and he played at a smaller school, so he didn't get drafted. So as you're going through this process with kids in the draft and they're sort of thinking about what pick am I going to be, what contract am I going to get because of that, how much of your job is trying to educate them on some of this is about the right fit and somewhere where you can be uh, set up for a sustainable career beyond just the draft pick number? Yeah, my honest feeling is I don't care about the draft at all. I really don't. A lot of guys don't want to hear that. Sure, I'd like guys to get drafted as high as possible because there's financial incentive for them and myself, and there's a pride factor involved, but I really don't care. The draft is it's such a crapshoot. A lot of these guys don't know what these teams, don't know what they're doing anyway. Half these guys are going to shoot themselves in the foot and never maximize their potential. And then, like you said, so much of it is a fit. Like, I don't know if Jamarcus Russell goes to New England – do you, does he fade out of the league in three years? I have no idea. But a lot of it is a fit. Um, would I rather have a guy go undrafted to a great situation than sixth round to a bad situation? Or a guy go third round to a great situation versus first round to a bad situation? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And some of the situation you can control a little bit. you got to know when to come in. And These guys come in and they listen to every guy in their locker room and half those guys are going to go broke. You know, You can listen to them about certain things, but don't listen to them for a lot of things. And... That's why we try to put individualized plans together for each of our guys because I don't really care about the draft. It just doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. I've had a lot of guys that went second round that probably deserved to go undrafted, and I've had a lot of guys that should have gone second or third round that, <laughs> yeah. that ended up going undrafted. So Now, Blake, before we get to a possible, because you brought up Harrison Smith, he might sign in a contract extension soon. I'm curious to get your thoughts on what a guy like that is, is worth. But first of all, the NFL salary cap goes up $12 million this past offseason. What, what did you see? How did that impact the market? I mean, it seemed like the rich got richer between guys like Malik Jackson and Olivier Vernon. I mean, did you see the market raise for, for every position, or was it just the major ones? Yeah, I think you're always going to see that. I think you're always going to see the top guys get a percent increase, mm-hmm. uh, because especially if they get to the market. It's just very difficult to be a very good player and get to the open market. With all the abilities to to handcuff these players via the franchise tag, and we, we talked about this a second ago about getting leverage, it's just very difficult. Malik Jackson was in a phenomenal position. They couldn't franchise Von Miller. They couldn't franchise Brock Osweiler. They couldn't franchise Malik Jackson. They, had, they only had one franchise tag to use. They just happened to have so much talent in one year that you know Denver probably should have locked up some of these guys when they had an opportunity to. And the fact that everyone just bolted so quickly just said something to me that something else is going on there that these guys weren't didn't feel respected or weren't happy or now you see they're trying to get Kaepernick to take a pay cut and I think there's more going on there than what's out there because they bolted quick it wasn't like 
let's give it a day or two. Right. Let's let's get Denver to maybe match it. It was like we're all out of here. You, you know, let's get out of here. Yeah, so the quarterback that could have been that could have led the Super Bowl defending Super Bowl champions took off for extra two million a year. Yeah, yeah. And I think when the cap goes up that much, if you if you're a top player, like if you're a Dominican Sue and you get to the open market, you're gonna go. You're gonna yeah. set the new barometer for for the position and. The the cap is going up so much that teams have more cash to spend. The revenues are going up. Teams are making more and more money. The cap this year probably should have been where the cap was four or five years ago. So it's just it's just slowly getting back to where it is. It went back to like a an eleven. I think it went back to like a two thousand nine level or something. I mean, it was and the revenues were the highest they've ever been. So it was a. Uh, it was because we started from such a low point that now it looks like it's ex- you know exorbitant, but it's really just getting back to where it should have been for a while. Yeah, well, the Vikings at least uh, have have done what you said the Broncos should have done. They're they're locking up their guys as they kind of come along. They seem to take that approach with it. They don't want to have a bunch of guys to try and lock up all at once. Uh, this year should be Harrison Smith. Um, the Vikings expect to sign him to an extension sometime soon. He's one of the youngest budding safeties. I mean, we say budding at some point. He he now is, I assume, yeah. one of the best safeties in the league. What do you think a contract extension would look like for him? I mean, if I was representing him, I would just say I want to be the top safety in football. I'm sure that's why Rick Spielman said guys call him the, the one of the better safeties <laughs> in football when we met with him a couple right. months ago. <laughs> because the numbers have gone up. Yeah. Like, do I think he's as good as maybe Earl Thomas or some of these guys? It doesn't really matter. Um, Earl Thomas got ten million bucks a year two years ago. So two years later in a different NFL environment, top top safety or one of the better players in your defense, they probably can warrant ten or eleven million dollars a year. Now, again, he's in a position now where He'll have to make a decision. Maybe they'll offer him. I don't know if they've already offered him. They're probably trying to get a deal done. Um, he'll have to make a decision for he and his family as to do I take a little less on average per year just to get the guarantee where I need it to be to know that I never have to worry about money the rest of my life. Um, and I think sometimes these guys get caught up in ego and get caught up in I got to beat this person or this agent feels I got to beat this other agent when in reality you're running a lot of risk by going back on the field and not if you have an opportunity to set your family up forever so and then you're looking at a year from now you can what the vikings are doing any intelligent team is doing is saying okay this is what i'm paying harrison smith this year if we franchise him after the 2016 season that's what the number will be and whatever that number becomes let's say it's 18 million dollars over two years give me any reason why i'm going to offer you more than 18 million dollars over two years when i know i can keep you for the next two years at that number Right. Make sure. Exactly. So yeah, absolutely. Um, that's what the intelligent teams are doing. Anything we give you above that is just because we like you and it's out of the goodness of our heart, which there's not a lot of teams that work out of the goodness of their heart. So <laughs> can't imagine that in national football. League. It doesn't happen much. It's how can we pay A and B as cheap as possible so we can sign C, D, E, F and G to, to simplify it. So um, and then his people are probably looking at, OK, who else do they have coming up for contract after this year? Is there anyone else that doesn't have a deal done that? um they would potentially have to franchise. It's a little bit of a cat and mouse and a puzzle, and the Vikings are in a good spot. They got a lot of young guys. Um, they're still a couple years away from having to pay some of these really good players, so they've done a really good job from from Rick to Brzezinski and George and Zim. They've done a they've done a really good job. They this is as, since I've been alive. This is as good of a situation the Vikings have ever been in. How important does it become now to where, to your point about being a few years out from paying guys, Bridgewater's contract? Because we saw that this in Seattle, and it worked to perfection with Wilson, Blake, where they had those years of, we can build this thing, it's a juggernaut, and our quarterback's really good, and by the way, 
we're not paying him much. How important does the, does this part of the window become for the Vikings, where if Bridgewater develops next season into who the Vikings want, you might have a hell of a quarterback at a really good price. Yeah, I, I, I've i always taken the mindset of once you know you got a guy for the future, lock him up as quickly as possible for a couple of reasons. And you don't see a lot of teams do this. Philadelphia did it for a while where they would lock guys up when they had two years left on their deal. Again, it's the way things have always been done, so everyone waits till there's a year left or the contract expires. But to me, if a guy's been in your organization for two or three years and you can't tell if he's going to be a valuable part of your organization, then you're not doing your job properly. You should lock those guys up because they're under rookie deals, and rookies are so severely underpaid. Tay Bridgewater is on the – he just finished his second year, right? So he's going to average a million seven or something like that. He was the last pick in the first round. So he's probably averaging a million seven. At the very least, dangle a carrot in front of these guys' eyes and see if they can turn it down. Like, if you gave Teddy Bridgewater today $15 million guaranteed or $20 million guaranteed, he's a bad example because they can't even renegotiate him yet because he hasn't been in the league three years. But a year from now, say he'll make another whatever he makes this year. A year from now, he's still got a year left on his deal plus the team option plus they could franchise him. So they can, get, they can hold him by the balls for three years if they want to. If you offer him $15 million guaranteed or $18 million guaranteed or 22 or $24 million guaranteed, which is still shying away from the 40 or 45 or 50 that Drew Brees and Flacco are getting, make him turn that deal down. That's what I would do, whether it's Anthony Barr or I mean, Everson Griffin. They waited until the very end to re-sign him. You do that a year earlier, he hasn't played. He's got no stats. You still believe in the guy. You probably can get him for $6 million guaranteed. That's what the Patriots did with Gronkowski. I mean – well, you saw the Packers do it with Aaron Rodgers. I think that halfway through that first year, he was the starting quarterback. They signed him to a new deal. He wins a Super Bowl, making eight million dollars a year. You yep. know, the year before the lockout, it's like all of a sudden that contract looks awfully smart. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, that's what I would consistently do is make these guys turn the money down. And that's if you're a first round pick. If you're a second or third or fourth, you're making five hundred grand a year, six hundred grand a year. A guy comes to you and says they want to sign you to $6 million guaranteed and I don't have to go risk injury for the next two years, and at the very least, I got some money in my pocket, I'd be making those guys turn those deal down, deals down all the time. Make the player turn it down, make the agent turn it down. But you don't see those deals offered very much, which is, again, it's the same, same way of thinking. way we've always done it. way we've it. always done it. Let's keep doing it that way. That's so football. <laughs> it's so football. There's, and there's so many businesses where you, if, if you walked in with the line, well, this is the way we've always done it you'd either get fired or completely ignored and, <laughs> right. and branded with, we don't need to listen to this guy's input Or anymore. if you've been fired by five teams in the same, or excuse me, five companies in yeah. the same industry, right. we won't get hired by a six. I mean, that's not yeah, necessarily, I mean, it's, not. there's certainly the a lot of that yeah. in football. It's not yeah. necessarily exclusive to football. I mean, yeah. you see it in other sports too where guys just get recycled, but there is that mentality in pro sports of, well, and you can, you can lose in the around. NFL. Like, you cannot be a successful product on the field, and your boss can still tell you, well, we made $400 million last year. Yeah. So, <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. So, Blake, what intrigues you the most among the things that we expect to see from the Browns' new structure, which for football is really off the charts? What intrigues you the most? What do you expect them to do where teams are either going to say, whoa, that's going to change the landscape, or laugh at the Browns, and the Browns might turn out to be right? Honestly, I really don't know that much about them. Like, I've done a little homework on um, on their background, but I don't know them. Like, I met with their football people at the combine. I didn't meet with any of their, their front office people that are trying to bring this whole analytical approach to them. So I don't know what they're trying to do. I really don't. Um, they obviously are cutting everyone and letting guys go. The NFL is a complicated business. Like, I don't think you can just come in one day and, and know it. 
Um, I, I think it just takes time. So I don't, and I don't think you can necessarily just take every approach you had in baseball and bring it uh, to the NFL. And I hopefully they have a good enough mix of baseball people, analytics people, and still football people that are open minded, uh, where they can all work together and talk about it. Because otherwise, it'll be another train wreck. Yeah, I think the open mindedness part's the biggest thing to me anyway. Because how many times you come into a room with a new idea where they've always done it a certain way? I mean, you saw it with, with Moneyball. I mean, that's right. That's, the, that's what they try to pluck here with the Browns in the NFL. And at the end of the day, like Hugh Jackson's going to want to win. Like he's yeah. not going to sit there and want to rebuild for four years. He waited. You know, he he kind of got. A bad deal in Oakland. They didn't spend any money, and he got—he's a good coach who got rolled out of there. Now he's dealing with another rebuilding program. The owner's got to be getting frustrated at some level. In this day and age, no one's waiting for anything. Bobby Smith just got fired after a year. Um, the previous Cleveland coaches got fired after a year. It's just a—it's a very what have you done for me lately? So I'm glad they're bringing some new attitude and energy and ideas. I don't know what those are or whether they'll work, but. If they don't work, we'll go right back to how it's always been done. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen, let's open it up a bit before we finish and talk about the Vikings uh, in general. Greg Jennings, uh, former Viking wide receiver, Packer wide receiver, uh, goes on the airwaves today this week and says he'd uh, welcome a return with the Vikings. So much to say that he has called Rick Spielman and left a voicemail that he'd <laughs> like to come back. Uh, gentlemen, I'll open it up to either of you. Any of you think that is a possibility in the slightest? A reunion with the Vikings, I, Greg Jennings. I don't see it, and here's why. I, I mean, I, I don't think it ended last year on the best terms, from what I heard. I mean, I think you're talking about the Vikings and Greg Jennings. With the Vikings and Greg Jennings. Jennings. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that when they were trying to get a contract done, they they obviously couldn't come to terms on a restructured deal. Mm-hmm. He goes to the Dolphins. George Stewart, I was talking to him in training camp. He said something very interesting, and I, I saw what Greg said this morning, talking about how I, I think Teddy realized what he was missing in terms of not having that veteran to lead the group. George Stewart said something in training camp last year. He said, we've never had that true veteran guy like Mike Wallace that can come in. And he compared it to the, this old brokerage from EF Hutton. He goes, and, and, and anybody who's heard George Stewart, you know he has that great basso profundo voice that says, you know, you ever you remember that old commercial with EF Hutton? He says, when, when people talk, when EF Hutton talks, people listen. He goes, that's Mike Wallace. He's a guy that will get in your face and tell you the way you need to do it. And he said, Greg tried to do that, but he it didn't work. So I, it makes you kind of wonder with the leadership thing. You know, Jennings is talking about that. I mean, they've already seen him try to do that, and it, for whatever reason, didn't click. If that's the main thing he's trying to push and say, this is why I should be back here, I'm not sure that they're going to do it. On top of the fact that Mike Zimmer said a couple weeks ago, I don't know that we need to add a veteran just for the sake of having a veteran in the room. Yeah, I think for me anyway, my opinion on that is, is he really the type of receiver they need right now? I don't think he's even the type. I mean, they have, in my opinion, a better, younger version, Stephon Diggs, in in terms of a prototype and a style of play and a guy. Um, I I just don't see the fit, and I certainly don't see him maybe even getting the kind of money he'd expect even after another down year in Miami. I mean, Blake, what do you think his value is right now? I have no idea. (laughs) Uh, I don't. Oh, I, I think is where we started. I don't. I don't <laughs> yeah. see him coming back to the Vikings. Um, I don't know. I really. Uh, what his value is and what I would pay are completely different questions. Okay. So I don't know. I'm. My, I'm surprised Mike Wallace got six and a half million bucks a year on the open market too. I was surprised Greg got nine two years ago. I was surprised Mike Wallace got ten last year. So, um, uh, not decisions I would make, but I'm 
not I guess I'm I guess surprise is the wrong word. Nothing really surprises me in the NFL anymore. But well, it seems to me that receivers anyway are a, are a position that teams are okay to overspend on in the hope that it'll be something receiver specifically because of how the NFL is going and the passing. I mean, that seems to be a position anyway where teams are saying, "All right, well, let's bring in Mike Wallace on a 10 million dollar flyer." I mean, that, that seems to be the case. But I, I mean, as we talk about analytics, I would almost go the other way with that sometimes. I mean, it seems like that's a position where I mean, it, you know, there are certain guys like Calvin Johnson, Larry Fitzgerald, obviously, you put them in a different group. But it, it almost seems to me sometimes like there are guys that can be productive enough that you might say, if there's enough of them on the market, we can afford to underpay them a little bit because it's not a position where you have to have one of four or five guys or you're screwed. I mean, that's, that's kind of the way I would look at it. It seems like there's enough of those guys or at least enough of them that can work with the right quarterback that you could probably get by in that position. Blake, what's your thought on this too? Because it, as we talk about it, it strikes me that veteran player wants to come back here. Uh, Vikings now, good team, established, respected coach, new stadium, and and very soon probably within the, what, the next four years or so, new practice area mm-hmm. facility Hopefully it's less than four i don't want to sit in that room of another four <laughs> so years what, three years two years Let's hope, I, anyway, I, I think they want it by open by the super bowl with the pro pay. Okay. they've talked about my point is this how many of, of your agent brethren do you expect now to have their clients identify this as a potential destination because i mean players can afford to live in condos if you're rich enough you really don't have to go outside much but the, <laughs> but i mean we you know, automatic I, start cars. I covered the team and talked to you, Blake. When you know they're in Eden Prairie, mm-hmm. when it was a dump, it's better mm-hmm. now. They were stuck in the Metrodome. Mm-hmm. It's a lot better now. In 2005, <laughs> well, there, was, I remember there were that. shrubs growing. I remember that. Right. But my point is, it's gone from the Minnesota Vikings have this sort of mon pa cheap operation to big time. How much do you expect the game to change for this team as far as players now identifying this as a potential a destination? Well, I don't think even though. Even in the past, if the facilities weren't up to par, and I would say they're still not up to par, I don't think that's necessarily been that big of a deterrent for guys coming here. I mean, they still got guys. I mean, they got Linval Joseph, and guys are – they've been able to get guys here. Zimmer's able to go, go out and get his own guys. I think if, if they're going to be in the market financially, I don't think Minnesota's been that big of a deterrent. Um, the fact that they're going to hopefully continue to win and get a new stadium and have a new facility, does it help when a free agent or a college kid comes and sees a beautiful new facility? Absolutely, it helps. Um, I mean, a lot of these kids are going over to the facility today, and their college facility was twice as nice as what they're seeing <laughs> 100%. In, yep. in here. Ohio so, State kids, I'm sure, are like, wait a minute, this is it? Right. Well, I mean, the Vikings just played a TCF where the locker room is bigger than their locker room at Winter Park. I yeah. Mean, yeah, it's yeah. the exact same thing. I, I, I think it'll help, but I don't think it's – I don't think it'll change the world that much because um, I think at the, at the end of the day, people are – a lot of these agents and players, they're going to follow the money. So if the Vikings step up and are going to overpay someone, they'll end up here. I don't think Mike Wallace was dying to go spend his meetings in uh, in Eden Prairie, but if you're going to pay him 9 or 10 or $11 million a year, you'll deal with it. My favorite story <laughs> of all time was, uh, was when Tice's goal with free agents – would be to wine and dine him first, and then take him to the uh, to Eden Prairie because Eden Prairie was so bad. He tried to get guys drunk, and then when they were drunk, he'd say, "Look at our locker room. Look at Winter Park. It's not that bad." But you, but you two, uh, Kramer and Gessling, you don't recall the first year I covered this team on a full time basis in 2005. I'm not kidding you. The back hill at Winter Park 
was not, they didn't cut it down. It was nothing but shrubs and overgrown grass. Kenny Irvin, defensive back for the Vikings, once in practice tried to pick off a ball and his momentum carried him into the woods and he tripped over something in the woods and, and had to like peel stuff out of his knee. I'm not kidding. You. He got injured by the shrubbery. Yes, they didn't cut the shrubbery down. <laughs> and so his, his momentum on that practice field, he went to pick off a ball. Jeez. He couldn't stop himself, and he ended up in the woods, falling in the woods. This would have been in the days where red was not exactly uh, John Hammond, spare right. no expense in Jurassic Park. They had to bring in George Toma to fix the damn field. <laughs> it was I'm bad. not kidding you. It was really bad. It's it's still bad, but it wasn't as bad as that. It was really it was really bad for a while. The lawns are manicured now, at least. Yeah. Eden, George, George Toma actually came in and fixed those. And Eden, the Eden cool Prairie bubble. might have nicer facilities. Eden Prairie High School. Yeah, yeah. No, they've <laughs> yeah. got a bubble. Why is that a might? They might with Plymouth. Legitimately, their campus. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Probably Eden Prairie's that. Yeah, Winter Park is that bad and and was worse. You guys, sh- you two West Metro blue bloods over here. You should see the old locker room. I mean that. <laughs> They finally knocked out a back room. That locker room now was about a half of the size. Really? Of the locker room that we see now. Oh, it was awful. I think oh. it's tiny now. I, I remember being in there a little <laughs> bit, like when I was interning at the Pioneer Press back in like 03, 04. I, mean, I remember the old media room. I guess I can't remember the locker room being that There was an equipment bad. room that probably... cut it off earlier than it's cut off now, and that thing was there was no room to move around. Yeah. I, in fact, as I think about it, I maybe was even there at a time where we weren't in the locker room anyway. I, I remember the old media room where it was probably about the size of this. I mean, this, people can't see the room we're in. It, the room we're in is small. No, that was good for The media room yeah. back then was small. <laughs> the media room now is not great either. But Hopefully they'll improve it. And when the new one gets built, it's going to be it's Oh, it's going to be, be a great. complex. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the plans for Egan. Yeah, it certainly be. seems like it's going to be a complex. Make no mistake, training camp will be there very shortly. Probably. The end of the Mankato relationship is years away, folks. Could be. Years away. Could be. A few years. And my Mar- whatever's left of my Marriott status from the days covering baseball will die officially at that point. I thought you were going to say marriage. <laughs> no, it'll help the marriage probably. Oh, she'll be very happy. Yeah, I'll be yeah. home more. You can cut the lawn. Well, Blake, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank uh, you for having me. Yeah, of course. Really Always a pleasure. It. Really appreciate it. Hopefully, we'll have you on again. Uh, thanks again, guys, for checking out this episode of the Purple Podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer. Please check it out. Fifteen hundred ESPN dot com, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Oh, and the Podcast One app. 95% of Uber Eats orders are on time, which is great. Because when I want my spicy shrimp pad thai, I want it on time. Because, baby, there's no time like the present, especially when it's pad thai related. But on the off chance your order is late, Uber Eats will give you three months, $0 delivery fee with a free Uber One membership. On time, pad thai, baby. On time claim based on latest arrival time shown after order is placed. Offer ends to 19 Current Uber One members not eligible. Subscription will auto-renew at nine ninety nine each month, starting three months from initial enrollment. See Uber.com slash Uber One for terms. Benefits available only for eligible stores. Order minimums apply.